0: listening to the Vineyard Church's UK and Ireland podcast. The following audio was taken from The Cause to Live For 2022, our annual event for students' 20s and 30s.
1: So um, if you were in the earlier session, you, you heard me unpack. I was, I was not raised in a vineyard context. It was very foreign to me, particularly the prayer stuff. I was closed, judgmental, honestly, and I find myself on this mission trip to China in which I have made a deal with the trip leader that I'm not going to do prayer. Uh, I'm so good at this, right? Not going to do prayer. Um, And so we're doing a training with some house church leaders. There's about a dozen of us, and we're in a hotel room because in China, you can't have church buildings, Um, So we've rented a hotel suite for the day. There's a team of four of us from the States, myself, uh, another intern, and then a husband-wife pair who were kind of leading the church missions partnership with China. And um, about 12 of the leaders. And we're making our way through the teaching, um, you know, Q&A, typical training. This is the, if you've been through it, this is that sort of like introductory five-step prayer model training that... You know, many vineyard churches do. Maybe not every single one, or whatever. But we get to the first time where we're gonna stop and listen, and and we're gonna ask the word, or ask the Lord for, I suppose, words of knowledge would be what we call them, to set up prayer uh, moments. And so, the team leader sets a timer on her phone. And says we're gonna take three minutes, and we're all gonna listen, and then we'll see if God says anything to any of us. So, timer's off and going. And I'm just sitting there honestly twiddling my thumbs because I'm like, I made the deal. This, I'm not doing this, this isn't my thing. And while I'm sitting there, I notice maybe a minute in, I notice my left forearm starts feeling really strange. And I kind of just first dismiss it, but then I realize as time goes on, I'm like, I am feeling, like physically feeling something in my left forearm and and it's really weird. It feels like it's getting more pronounced. And as I pay attention to it, I realize it's like right about here in terms of height. But it's on the inside of my arm. It's like between the bones, like on the inside. And I'm like, I didn't even know I could feel the inside of my arm. That's really strange. And and so I kind of get, you know, scientists by training, I sort of get curious, you know. And so I'm kind of trying to, I'm like trying to move it around, see if I can make it go away, you know. And and all of this, and, and, and so I'm in that space, and then the timer goes off, and team leader goes, hey, um, anybody hear anything? And I didn't really think, think much about it, but I was so caught up with whatever was happening with my arm, that I'm just kind of like, oh, I don't know, left forearm? And one of the um, women who was there for the training, um, the, the, the team there, she goes, oh, that's me, for sure. I sprained my wrist six months ago, It never healed right, and the doctors don't know why. They don't understand what's going on. Well, I, being a physicist, I have processed Holy Spirit ministry very differently than most people up until this point, right? So, like, I've been in a lot of rooms this size where somebody's like, okay, who has arthritis? You know, we're going to pray for arthritis right now. Now, I'm not saying that that couldn't be God speaking, but what I am saying is, when you're a skeptical physicist, I look at a room this size and I go, "Okay, well, let's see." In this age range, I would estimate there's one in fifteen people that have arthritis in some way, shape, or form. Maybe an athletic injury or something in the family, whatever. So I look at this and I go, mm, "There's probably there's probably fifteen people in this room with arthritis, just statistically, right?" So I've been in tons of rooms where I've seen stuff and people respond. But I've not seen a lot that has kind of bent the, the space of what, what probability would predict. Um, and again, it's not to say that it's not God. I'm just saying when you're skeptical, you're looking for reasons for it not to be true. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't overly convinced. So anyway, I'm in this room. This woman responds to left wrist. And I get really interested because as a physicist, I'm like, hmm, left wrist injury. And I start trying to like, do the math a little bit in my head. Like, How many people do I know that have a left wrist injury? That's definitely not very common. I'm like, the odds maybe like one in 100, maybe one in 200. know, I'm trying to kind of crunch those numbers in my head because we've got 12 people there. And a left wrist injury for 12 people I know is not terribly common. Meanwhile, the team leader is giving some instructions, but it's all in Chinese, so I don't understand that. So what I'm hearing is like da 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 da, Putty da 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 Putty da 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 Putty, you know, and I'm just thinking I don't know. She's telling them how I got the word of knowledge or something, you know. I don't know what she's doing, but she finishes up and she turns to me and she goes, "Okay, Putty, you got the word of knowledge, so you get to lead the prayer." And and I was like, "Oh, I forgot that's what they do in the vineyard. Like I I I should have known that, you know. Like ah, oh. so I go all right." what do I do here? Do I do I pass on this? And China's a, a very high, uh, what's called shame honor culture. So if I I know that if I like dishonor the team leader in front of the other people there, like that is a really bad no-no in that culture. So I'm like, I can't do that. I can't just like weasel my way out of that. And so I just decide, I'm like, I I can go through the motions. Like I've seen other people go through the motions. Like it's it's not that hard to, you know, to do that, and so I just decide. I'm like, I guess I don't know what else to do. Sure, I'll just kind of fake it. And so the woman comes up, and I and I do the thing that I've seen people do. You know, I walk, there, I ask her a couple of questions so that she thinks I like her or something, and ask for permission to put my hand on her shoulder, um, and then I say, "Come, Holy Spirit." And um, when that when I do that, it's like the whole room goes in slow motion. I've got. I'm here, she's here, our translator is here, the three of us are standing like this, and the rest of the room's in a circle all around us watching. I say, come Holy Spirit, and I feel something come through the ceiling of the, of the room, and it slams on this lady, not like in a gentle way, like with the force of a waterfall. And so she's not like, you know, like sometimes we see them when it's like, ah, oh, like I just feel peaceful in God's presence. That's not what happens. She's standing and then instantly She buckles, and she doesn't drop forward or backward. It's faster than that. She crumples straight down. And so she goes, she starts dropping, and my hand's on her shoulder, and I'm like watching her drop down. I'm like, this is weird. And then I hear around me, I'm I'm looking at her, so I'm not seeing this, but I hear around me this collective like (gasps) gasp, and then I hear thump, 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 and the room just goes off. She hits the ground. By the time she's down on the ground, I'm looking around, I'm like, what on earth is happening? Like That person is crying, that person is vibrating. I don't know why there's so much snot over there. And I hear this noise over my shoulder. I turn, I look, and and back in the back corner of the room, there's a a young woman who is dry heaving into a trash can. And I'm like, I don't know what that is, but that doesn't look good. (laughs) I don't think I like that. And my attention comes back here, and the the woman that I'm praying for, she's now, like, on the ground, kind of roughly cross-legged, and she's, like, saying all kinds of weird things, but I don't understand any of it, because it's Chinese, right? So I'm, like, and she's, like, saying all kinds of stuff, and I'm, like, she's acting weird. This is strange. So I say to the team leader, I said, like, can you translate for me, like, what she's saying right now? And the translator goes, she goes, (laughs) she just, like, she's trying to interact, her, she just looks at me she goes, it's a demon, and turns right back. <laughs> and, and I'm like, um, um, what's a demon? And she goes, she's manifesting a demon right now. And I went, oh my gosh, I have no idea, what, like, you know? So I start rocking my brain and in the States, there's this thing called a wana. Do you guys do wana here? Is that a thing? Okay, I'll explain a wana to you real quick. It's about the best thing the American church ever came up with, okay? You drop your kids off at church. They get bribed to memorize Bible verses with candy. You run them around the gym to get the energy out, and then you send them home to mom and dad. And so it's like a win-win. The parents get a night off, the kids get candy, they memorize the Bible. This is what you do when you're a Baptist growing up. So I start in my mind going through all the Bible that I've tucked away because I'm like, okay, the only thing I can think of about demons, and like I've I've not been trained to do this, right? So I'm like, I know Jesus cast out demons. So like, okay, what did he do? And so I'm sitting there trying to like think through the things in my head. Okay, like the only thing I can remember is he just like commanded them to come out. So I just look at this lady, oh my God, I don't know what to do. I look at her and I say, I say, demon, you come out of her in Jesus' name. And she looks at me, she goes, <laughs> I like, oh, okay, I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, and so I regrouped and I thought again, and, and there was this sort of like back and forth process to it, but I just felt like it was important to stick with it. And so it's a strange thing, she's like, if you've ever seen this, it like really will bend your mind. Like she's lucid, she's there. We're talking. We start praying. Then she's snarling and growling and trying to pull my hand off her shoulder. And then she's back to normal again. And then she's snarling again. You know, and it goes back and forth like this for a long time, like more than forty-five minutes. Long time. Um, but as a good Baptist, there's one thing I know in this: that, that demon is not bigger than Jesus. So I'm like, that thing is not gonna win. I don't know what this looks like. I'm not giving up until till Jesus wins here. And so about 45 minutes later, she kind of shudders and starts talking in Chinese. And, and I'm like, something just happened. What happened? And so the translator says, it left. And I said, what left? Like, let's be real specific here. <laughs> like, what left? She goes, every day that I wake up, I feel this dark cloud over my life. And it doesn't come and go. It's there every day, and it's been there for years. And she said, it just left, it's gone. And I thought, okay, I don't really know what we're looking for, but that sounds really good. I think that we might be looking for that. And so then I said, okay, well, (laughs) this this is Putty's internal monologue. I thought it was your stupid wrist that got us in this problem in the first place, so what about your wrist? And she rolls her wrist around and she goes, feels good. Like, I think, I think I'm healed. And so she gets up off the floor, and I get up off the floor, and eventually everybody else gets up off the floor, and there's like a million questions. Everyone's like, how did you know? And what about this? And how did you know how to do that? And I'm like, guys, you have no idea. Like, I don't even know if I believe what just happened. Like, I'm, I'm totally, I'm totally into this. And believe it or not, that afternoon, that gal back there who was dry heaving in the trash can We wind up driving and demon out her. She has an open vision. God calls her to be a missionary. I mean, it was like crazy afternoon. So, for me, this was like, that was my experience of going from, this is all fake, to, oh, there's something real here. Um, Now, I came back with a lot of questions. I was confused, like, why was it that messy? Did it have to be that messy? Like. Do they have to snarl at you? You know, like, <laughs> I, I, there was a lot in the packaging I didn't understand that confused me. Yeah. And I, I mean, I gotta be honest, there's a lot that God does that the packaging of it can still confuse me. Like, he's different than me, right? Um, but I, I did know beyond the shadow of a doubt, I was like, that lady's life changed more in an hour yeah. than I've ever seen anyone else's life change. And if that's true, if that's real, then I owe it to myself to explore that space and see what God's doing. So that was that was my introduction. That was kind of how it got started.
0: Well, can I just kind of continue the journey if I can, because you've kind of sure. gone from highly skeptical to then stepping fully into exploring and understanding the mm-hmm. supernatural. And the thing I think that often happens with people is they they reduce their theological understanding based on their experience whereas, mm. whereas you've you've actually stepped into something i just wonder could you take
1: us on that yeah job? yeah no i so thank you that's so good right um for me the the whole like so like i'm i'm a physicist right like and and i'd like to think that the lord has given me the mind he's given me yeah. you know that that didn't just happen by accident, and. And so before, before meeting this Holy Spirit, this dramatic Holy Spirit encounter, I, I was never like, okay, none of this could possibly be real. But somehow there was this messaging that, I don't know if it's just in the culture, because I don't know if anybody ever like directly told me this, but there's this kind of this undertone that was like, well, just check your mind. Like, it doesn't matter if you can understand it or not, like, just believe it. Yeah. And And that never worked for me. Like, I could never do that and be faithful to the person God made me. Now, some people maybe can Like, for some people, like, it just, it doesn't matter so much. It's like, I don't need to understand it. I can just believe. That's awesome. Like, if that's where you're at, that's great. But I just knew for me, like, to do that would be to actually sell out on the person God made me. And and I couldn't do that. And so... So anyway, I had this, like, this experience in China and that makes me go, okay, there's, there's certainly something real here. I don't know what it is. I'm confused, but there's something real. And so I, I've got to explore it. And for a while that actually had, I had some tension with that because I was like, I don't know how this works. And I remember one time I had a, this is probably maybe two years in, I had a conversation with the Lord where I said, God, I don't get it you're the one who gave me the brain I have. And if that brain makes it harder for me to be a good Christian, then this feels kind of unfair. Like, what gives? How is this supposed to work? And I remember, you know, from time to time, if, I'm sure many of you have had experiences like this. Like, as we walk with the Lord over time, there will be times and moments where God speaks really clearly to us, and then there are many moments that don't feel quite that clear, right? But this happened to be one of those moments where it felt really clear. I just felt God speak crystal clear to me, and he said this, Putty, I want you to think about Peter, and I want you to think about Paul. I said, okay. He's like, what was Peter like? I'm like, well, I mean, he was kind of brash and impulsive, you know, act first, think later. He said, okay, what was Paul like? It's like, well, Paul is like university educated, thoughtful, spoke a bunch of languages, pretty articulate. And he said, okay, I needed Peter on the day of Pentecost mm. because sometimes the Holy Spirit pours out and it's never happened before. And nobody knows what's going on. Mm. And you need someone who's gonna step in and say, hey guys, this is that thing Joel talked about, this is Jesus, maybe you should repent and follow him. Mm. I needed someone who wasn't gonna get bogged down by thinking in that moment. Mm. He said, but how much of the New Testament did Peter write? Mm. I was like, well, two books. He's like, yeah, Peter wasn't very good at it.
0: Mm.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I needed Paul to write the New Testament. I needed someone educated. I needed someone who could work in a lot of different cultures. I needed I needed someone who had that advanced you know, linguistic and logic skill. I needed Peter to do Peter's job and I needed Paul to do Paul's job. Mm. And it's not a matter of whether you've got a brain like this or not. Like, I'll use it all. Yeah. You just be you. Yeah. You be the person I've made you. You let me breathe on the person I've made you. And, and I'll use you the way that I use you. And oh, by the way, yeah, it took Paul longer to get there. Yeah. Like, P- how long did it take Peter to get there? Jesus goes, come follow me. Peter's like, I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> Takes him four seconds. Yeah. Meanwhile, Paul's persecuting Jesus, right? <laughs> and then Jesus shows up, knocks him on the horse, then he disappears for 15 years to go think it over. You know, took Paul like a bunch of years. But then when he got there, God used All of it, yeah. And so I would just say, like, we're all in different places with that. If you're a Peter, don't try and be a Paul. If you're a Paul, don't try and be a Peter. Try and be the person God made you. He will use it. Mm -hmm. And if it's taking more time than you'd like, He'll make it worth it. (laughs) I don't think Paul, at the end of his life, was like, "Oh, it took too long to get ready." I don't. I don't think he felt that way at all. You be you. God wants to use you the way he made you. He made you that way on purpose. You, you, your design was not God's first accident.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's going to be deeply liberating for a number of people in the room where the penny drops in the realization that they can run in the lane that God has called them to rather than the lane of comparison or feeling that they're not somebody else. I, I wonder, we'll probably... Pick that up in a moment of ministry, but I think you um, not just through what you just said, but you and your life, you have a particular uh, uh, calling anointing gift in whatever it, but however I might phrase it for helping people understand and see their identity in Christ and I feel like we 're currently in a, a crisis moment for people 's identity that has been fought for quite significantly, and I uh, just wondered if you could just kind of help us just understand what it is and how it is that we, I mean, this is a massive question, but how you, 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 help us understand what our identity in Christ is. Sure, sure.
1: Well, what I might do is, I plan to make that basically the subject of the talk tonight. Beautiful. So maybe come back in two hours or whatever. <laughs> um... And, and uh, I mean, like, seriously, I'll do a lot better justice if I yeah. give it the time it deserves tonight. Yes. But, yeah, I mean, our identity really matters a lot. And it's a big deal right now in our culture. So I look forward to talking about yeah. it
0: tonight. And I think even through what you've already said, there'll be a number of people who will just be stirred up with that. Because we often try and find it in somebody else or mm-hmm. the insecurity that we find in it, don't we? Yeah. Um, let, let, well, let me ask you another question. I think there's, there's a gathering of an age group here uh, mm. today in the, in the movement, and we're, we're people who are trying to follow Jesus in a cultural moment that has shifted maybe from from what it was previously, even when we were last fully able to meet together. And there's trauma and there's pain, but also there's significant fertile ground mm. For the Lord to move, and uh, what are you, what are you seeing and sensing for some of the battles we're
1: facing, but also the opportunities that that's presenting us. Absolutely. Um, so I I am a millennial by generation. I would imagine we have millennials, and do you call them Gen Z here? Yeah. <laughs> Gen Z. I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> <clears throat> um, so I'm I'm a millennial, and um, I've given a lot of thought and a lot of prayer to what it means to be alive right now. And the more I think about it, the more I am convinced that this is a really important moment. This is a really important moment in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, So all of us who who are in this room, we get to live in the moment when our culture is in flux in a way that does not happen all that often. If you look at, like, the way, um, if you look at the way just generally that change as a whole happens, in our minds, we usually think that change happens in this sort of, like, slow, gradual, incremental climb, where it's, like, you know, bit by bit, things add up over time, and that's how change works, you know, those sort of... Maybe if you set some percentage apart from your paycheck every week, you know, you see your bank account slowly climb. That can be the way change happens, but it's not always the way change happens. And it turns out that often change happens in a way that doesn't look like a slow, gradual climb, but actually looks more like stair steps, where you have periods where not a lot changes, and then you have periods where there's intense change, and then not a lot changes, and then there's intense change. And if you try and back way up and you take like a thousand year view of Western society, it sure looks to me like the development of Western society is a stair-step process. It's not a gradual climb. You look at times like the Renaissance. You look at times like the Industrial Revolution. What preceded them was periods of time where there wasn't a lot of change. And then you hit, you know, you've got the, the late Middle Ages, and then you hit the Renaissance, and everything starts changing. Politics is changing, arts is changing, mathematics is changing, science is changing, the new world is discovered, new, you know, capitalism layers are invented, feudal states move their way into nation states, like, everything changes. And then it kind of levels off, and that level of change isn't happening. And the same kind of thing happens in the Industrial Revolution as well. And there's many other instances and examples. I believe that for whatever reason in our lifetime, we have experienced a plateau that has given way to a vertical rise. That's what we're feeling in this thing that we call, quote, the digital revolution. That's why the change is so consuming that there's nothing that's not changing and we're all change exhausted. Right? I mean, if you think about it, like what's not changing? Industries are changing, finance is changing. I don't know if you guys know, there's actually literature out there that's exploring what it could be to be a network state instead of a nation state. There's people actually trying to redesign the state around the digital revolution. So there's like incredible change that's happening in our life. And for whatever reason... God has picked us to be alive in the time where like, I remember some of before. Yeah. Maybe not all of us do, but I can actually still remember when my first friend got an email address. I was in junior high. He moved away, and I was like, oh, that's a shame. I'm never going to see him again. And they got an email address, and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I can stay in touch with him. Like That's crazy, right? So I remember a little bit of the world before, but... What this change means is this, look guys, like, we actually get to be alive at the time when everything in our world is changing. It's hard to change the world when it's a plateau. Like you can try, it's not gonna work. But when you're in a time of great change, turbulent though it may be, exhausting though it may be, everything is on the table. Everything is already changing. Like, if you're trying to change the world in a plateau, you're not really, like, it's you against the world to try and generate momentum. God has actually allowed the world to begin to change already. We get to be alive during the time when the concrete is still wet before it sets. And so what that means is actually our generation is navigating what the next plateau is gonna look like and feel like and the shape of what it's gonna be. And our world actually does not have the tools to do that well. Mm. One of the things I I think about considerably is the fact that, like, I don't know anyone who's pastoring the subject of technology effectively. Mm. Like, 90-plus percent of people are addicted to technology, and nobody's talking about it. Like, everyone is addicted to technology. And what is that doing to our psyche? What's that doing to our soul? What's that doing to our relationships? What's that doing to so many things? We're not even actually having the right conversations halfway. And so we have some answers in that space that the world doesn't have. Like Silicon Valley is not going to talk to you about what's good for your humanity as it comes to your relationship with technology. They're not going to do that. They're going to keep farming your attention to sell it for ads. We're the ones who can come along and say, well, well, hold on, wait a minute. What if my attention is not something I want farmed? Because maybe the Bible tells me to direct my attention to Jesus, to set my mind on things above, and I can't set my mind on things above when I'm getting my mind set by Instagram ads every day. Yeah. What if I actually have something meaningful to say about that that might matter? Yeah. We have a right to have that conversation and that's just one small example. There's a million others. We have an opportunity, guys, to actually chart the course of what a healthy humanity looks like in the digital era. We have that choice. And we're the only ones who are not going to be motivated by a money grab in that process. Yeah. We're going to be the ones who say, no, 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 hold on. I care about the good of your soul because I believe that God made you. And I want you to flourish just because of that. There's nothing beyond that. And so I'm, I mean, you can probably feel it coming out of me. I am really passionate about this moment. I'm really passionate about this generation. And I believe we have a beautiful and an awesome opportunity ahead of us. Like I'm so glad I'm alive now. It would be hard for me to be alive during a plateau. because like, I'm just not made for that. I'm made for like, Dude, things are changing. Let's get more Jesus in the mix. Because if you look at it, so far as I can tell, like that was a massive part of the contribution of the Reformation during the period of time we call the Renaissance, which I know, like, I'm in the place, guys, where that happened. Like, Martin Luther comes along and goes, okay, hold on, we're gonna structure our society on individuals now? That's cool. By the way, you need a theological anchor for that. Let me give you one. Individuals are made in the image of God. And they can each individually have relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, God values each individually. What would it look like to build our our governments around that? and give individuals a chance to maybe shape our governments? What would it look like to maybe take money out of feudal lords' hands and put it in individual hands and create, mm, I don't know, democracy? Or not uh, capitalism and these kinds of things? Like, Luther gave a theological anchor point that helped shape the structure of the West. Our culture's probably not looking in word for a theological anchor point. They're not saying, like, what's the churchy answer here? But they do need a meaningful anchor point. And they don't realize that they're looking for the Jesus answer, but they still need the Jesus answer. And I believe if we can give the Jesus answer in this moment, and maybe we label it as a Jesus answer, maybe we don't, or maybe there's, there's a whole conversation you can have there, but I believe we have the answers to the anchoring point that the flux that's happening around our needs to actually go to good places in the change that we're presently in. That's, I don't know, some of Putty's random thoughts.
0: Amen. I'm alive. That's good. I need to rewind all of that. Um, just, uh, I've, I've, uh, just to bounce you on a little bit, I've heard you say that uh, millennials, Gen Z, experienced the Holy Spirit in different ways to previous generations. And I, I guess I want to ask two questions. One is kind of how so, and the second one is what can we learn from the previous generations that we don't just want to dismiss or throw out? Sure. Yeah,
1: that's a great question. I wonder what I was thinking when I said that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, I think every, every generation experiences God somewhat differently, right? And I think for us, you know, the shape that the world is heading toward in, in the stair step incline that it's in right now is a shape that is much more fluid, it's much more decentralized. And it's much more empowered on the whole than, than the previous shape. And there's good in that and there's bad in that. You know, it's, it's not like the old shape is the problem and the new shape's the answer. God's the answer, not the shape. Um, so there's good and there's bad in that. But one of the things that's very exciting to me personally is there, there are a lot of ways that when the New Testament contemplates, this thing that it calls the church, then it uses a lot of language that aligns with that new shape. Um, Paul talks about language when he's thinking about the way that the church is composed and interacts. He uses a lot of what I would call interdependent language. He says things like, you're an eye, you're an ear, you're a nose, you're a whatever. And he says, "Altogether, you guys are something that none of you individually are. I think that's a really cool thought. Let me just leave that in, in the balance here. Altogether, you guys are something that none of you individually are. Yeah. He says, individually you're parts of the body. Collectively you're the body of Christ. There's a we in that, that I think the church in the West has largely lost. We've lost God in the we. Mm. This was actually kind of part of what was negotiated in in the Reformation that was like, you know, pendulum swings, I think. Like, there was a God in the we that was like God in institutional Christianity and the institution mediated your relationship with God for you. And the Reformation went, nah, that's not how it's supposed to work. And it made it all about God in the individual. We think about things like God's in you, God's in me, Jesus in your personal relationship with God, you know? Now, there's good in that. But what we've lost is the fact that, like, but there is also a God in us that's different than the God in you. You are collectively the body of Christ and you are individually members of it. Now, I'm not saying you don't belong there. What I'm saying is there exists something transcendent in us that's not in... Every one of us, the more, the sum of the, sum, the whole is more than the sum of the parts. Yeah. This is part why our churches got decimated in COVID because we all went to church online. Mm. And then after, which we had to, then afterward, the whole conversation was about like, well, why don't you come back to church? And everybody's like, why do I need to come back to church? I can watch the sermon on my pajamas at home. At least that was the conversation we had in the States. I don't know, I think it was probably the conversation yeah. here, right? And, and here's what the answer nearly always was. And it pained me. It was this. No, coming to church is good for you and you just don't know it. Okay, hold on. I, I'm not saying that that's not true. But we, we need to not let that conversation become like a, a, an economic conversation. Meaning, meaning this, that like we're now talking about what's functionally best for your life. Now, I'll tell you the answer to that question. The answer to the question is this. I I need you need every believer needs to experience being part of the body of Christ. And you stream this thing at home, you are not with the ear and the eye and the nose in the room together. So you might have your own you experience with God. You are not having a we experience with God. The only way to have a we experience with God is to be with the we. Yeah. And so I don't know about you, but I want all of God in my life. I don't want part of God in my life. So, you know, like, look, you decide you only want half of what God has for you. That's up to you. But you, now you've got a lot of problems to figure out. I want all of God. And if you want all of God, you have got to be with all of God's body. You've got to experience God in a collective transcendent way where you are a part of the whole. And if you don't, then you're not experiencing all that God has for you. I didn't hear any church give that answer. Mm. And to me, that's sad. It shows us we're actually missing something about what the church is. That idea is something that I believe our generation feels much more natively. It is really hard for, for example, baby boomers to get there. Baby boomers do not feel that. They don't feel that. There's something about us that feels that. Because we've all been trained by this decentralized shape so deeply that there's kind of this idea that, like, I'm a part of a thing that's bigger than me, and I can't even see all of it, but yet I feel it, and it, and it helps me sort of guide my life. Like, that kind of thing is what we do. Like, that's just how we live, right? I spent the last three days down in in London and, um, well, yesterday Oxford, before that three days in London, and it was awesome. I just, I spent, like, I spent the whole time, like, I'm like, oh, I just need to figure out how to get there. Okay, this train, that train, this one. And it was like, I didn't even need to know any of this because I can just plug into this beautiful system and I'm feeling the sort of flow of all of this and it's just guiding me and I'm like... I didn't have to come here with any plans. I didn't have to sort all this out. Like, I'm just, I'm in it living life because I I live in an integrated, connected way. That integrated, connective way can be filled with the presence of God. And that's the thing that we have the opportunity to do is to figure out how do we be filled with the presence of God in that integrated, connective space. We have a spiritual imagination for that that other generations, it's just harder. That's what I'd love to see us figure out how to do.
0: Man, that's good.